If you missed it live, catch the podcast on kaya959.co.za. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm delighted to have this conversation with you because if we've learned and experienced anything as South Africans is that when it comes to uh, government ministers or officials within these high-ranking roles, typically uh, they move around to different portfolios and very few of them actually have a team that is able to support them uh, in terms of the knowledge, technical skills and capability that they themselves then actively adopt and can become leaders in. So uh, just help us understand initially just the con struct and the status quo of um, ministerial leadership in the country? Oh yes, so um, we know that the appointment of ministers to serve in cabinet is the president's prerogative in terms of the constitution of the republic. And now the constitution is silent uh, on the appointment criteria that a president has to consider in assembling uh, his or her cabinet. But what we have um, gathered uh, in the last 30 years uh, since 1994 is that the, the different presidents have considered various factors in how they proceeded to assemble their cabinets. If you start with the Mandela administration, for example, the Tabombeki administration uh, as well, to a large extent, uh, ministers who were appointed to serve in portfolios such as trade and industry, education, health, justice, uh, were individuals who possessed skills, experience, and very important qualifications. But over time, uh, that consideration was eroded uh, in the subsequent years. And you can see uh, the state capacity is deficient in many areas. You have SOEs that are not um, governed properly and also there's no proper oversight Mm -hmm. on the part of the designated minister. You also go to other portfolios. They're not performing up to the required expectation and standard. Uh, For example, a ministry like labor and employment, you expect such a ministry to be at the forefront in terms of the creation of the much needed uh, employment opportunities uh, you also have a ministry like finance. We know what happened with um, uh, the former minister, Des Van Royen, uh, in terms of the collapse of the market. So it's a, it's a very important uh, matter that uh, we need to start debating. Uh, is it not high time mm. as we celebrate this 30 years of our constitutional order that the constitution needs to be reviewed with uh, the people's to insert this element of appointment criteria. And if we learn from countries like Kenya, Kenya is ahead of us because the Kenyan government has a legislation in place that governs how the composition of cabinet has to be taken into account by a sitting president. And it's very prescriptive that qualifications, skills, and experience of these individuals need to be considered by the president Mm -hmm. in assembling uh, the cabinet, and I, I like your intro because you are saying, as officials, as professionals, we are expected to possess qualifications. And you look at the mantra of the government; it says, "We are working towards constructing a capable and developmental state." And part of doing that, they are saying they want to professionalize the public sector. So we expect that this kind of effort should also be extended 
in the composition of cabinet so that we have parity. You have officials that are coming into the space with the required or requisite skills, qualifications, but critical heads. In this instance, ministers should also be up to scratch. 100%. I'm glad that you mentioned this, especially the examples that we can learn from from markets like Kenya. And I understand that this does come on the back of a challenge as well, uh, where the Constitutional Court has thrown out the ANC's bid to appeal against the lower court ruling uh, on uh, the controversial policy around CADA deployment. And uh, I'm keen to understand, uh, whilst uh, the law perhaps might give us an opportunity to investigate this and read through it, does it give us any sense of accountability? Uh, especially when it comes to reflecting on the years where state capture and the demise of critical institutions in South Africa um, was essentially a process that took place over time. Yes, you're right, Kuka. And the starting point is to refer to the state capture's final report. The report made a finding that the CADA deployment policy, as practiced by the ANC, is unlawful and unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. And we know that as we speak, the ANC has not taken the report on judicial review with the purpose to have this finding uh, reviewed and set aside. So as things stands, the finding remains. And that's the reason we now have this development coming from the Constitutional Court regarding the application that was lodged by the DA to say within a period of five days, the ANC has to release the records, minutes, uh, documentation in respect to uh, its CADA deployment uh, policy and the decisions that they've taken over the past decade or so. So it will be interesting. Once we are able to have access to these records as members of the public, to then be able to hold uh, those who are in power, including the governing par- uh, party, accountable and answerable for its actions and also in actions in how our state institutions were run, governed over the last uh, decade or so. 100%. And much like we do in the private sector, as you mentioned, we can nitpick at individuals and their qualifications or lack thereof. There's an article that I do see here that was published on my broadband, uh, which actually has the various pictures of a few ministers in key positions and uh, looks at the scale of qualification they have from a certificate, mm-hmm. diploma, degree, all the way to a postgraduate or master's level. And there's very few, at least I'm seeing three ministers uh, with a postgrad or master's level uh, of expertise in their particular field. But I'm also intrigued to understand the significance and how poignant this particular development is, especially given that we are in an election year and we're not quite certain what the construct of the government of the day uh, by the electorate will be post the elections this year. But I'm assuming that this will hold water um, in terms of ensuring that the next administration that is appointed, there'll be a much closer look uh, at terms of their skills, their capacity, their knowledge uh, and expertise that they have in a particular field. Definitely, Google. Uh, cabinet work is complex and technical in nature. And if you look at certain portfolios, uh, justice, education, uh, trade and industry, um, uh, foreign affairs, they require individuals who has or have uh, some level of postgraduate qualification or just the qualification, but plus experience and also skills uh, required for them to excel in this portfolio. So, and we know that South Africa, um, we are a middle income country. Uh, We are one of the most 
um, powerful uh, uh, countries in the context of SADC, mm. but also increasingly within the continent. So uh, it will be prudent for the next cabinet and also the president will be responsible to assemble the next cabinet to uh, prioritize this part, to say the team that I'm going to assemble should have what it takes, but also uh, uh, meet this appointment criteria. Dr. Koma, I'm going to throw a spanner into the mix here, <laughs> only because much okay. like we uh, do a comparison to the private sector and the public sector, uh, sometimes education doesn't guarantee governance. It doesn't guarantee ethical management. The likes of Marcus Uester and many of his peers are chartered accountants at Steinhoff. You look at Tongart uh, and many other institutions from the private sector where there's been outright fraud uh, and, and accounting malfeasance that's taken place. Uh, does this new qualification criteria within the public sector offer any certainty in terms of great ethical conduct and the prioritization of governance? So, in other words, how do we find yes, the intersection yeah. there? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, 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 I agree with you. Uh, education alone is not sufficient. Uh, ethical behavior, ethical conduct, professional conduct should also accompany these requirements that uh, we are saying needs to be uh, prerequisites as part of uh, the composition of uh, cabinet. And you cited uh, interesting uh, cases where the very same people who are said to be educated and also uh, competent, uh, they are found wanting in many respects uh, in areas around management and governance of uh, some of these uh, institutions. But we can't set the bar very low mm. to say, no, it's free for all. Anyone can get into the space of becoming a public representative without meeting some level of criterion, uh, which, of course, befits the very same uh, constitutional values and obligations that the state has to fulfill to ordinary members of uh, the the public. So uh, we can't um, compromise on the issue of um, education, but as I said, increasingly that has to be also accompanied by ethical conduct, professional conduct, and other related uh, aspects. 100% definitely uh, necessary. Dr. Koma, really appreciate your views uh, this evening and uh, insight that you've shared with us. Looking forward to seeing how, you know, the the developments and outcomes do change and and hopefully do lead to uh, governance being a priority uh, within the leadership of our institutions right across the board. Thank you again for your time, sir. If you missed it live, catch the broadcast on kaya959.co.za.